Uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of family. Thank you for our church family. Lord, we thank you for generations. We thank you for the vision that you, you gave some years ago for this church. We thank you, Lord God, that we can be here across generations as a church family, as a body of Christ, to worship you, to learn from you, and to help edify each other. And Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to help us, and may you do that in us, Lord, each and every week, each and every day. We pray as we get into your word that you would speak, your Holy Spirit would move in us, convince, convict us, Lord, stir in us, encourage us, soften our hearts and our minds to you. And we give this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we we're thinking about this time of year and as our school kids, as our kids are going back to school, this time of year always reminds us of really how fast time flies. You know, it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, how, how quickly your kids grow up. You know, it, it, I don't know about you all as parents, but it doesn't seem like it was just like yesterday. You were like changing their diapers, you know. You were uh, rocking them to sleep. Maybe you sang them a, or sang them a, a bedtime song or read them a, a, a bedtime story or something. It just seems like yesterday that was happening. And here they are, you're, t- you're, you're sending them off to school, whatever grade they're in, or, or off to college or high school or something. Um, it just, it, it's, it's amazing how time, fly, time flies when you're a parent. And uh, I always tell young parents, or I should say parents of young children, right, that I always advise them, you know, cherish those moments that you have. Cherish each stage of parenthood, because each stage has like a unique joy and a uniqueness about it. You know, enjoy that infancy. I know some of you are, are, are still at the stage where the kids are very young. Enjoy that stage. Enjoy it because time flies. It goes by so fast. And um, I don't often, when I was younger as a young parent, I didn't always take that advice uh, myself. I wish someone would have told me that when I was a young parent. Actually, I think Jamie probably told me that when I was a young parent, and I didn't really realize the value of cherishing each moment. Even if you all, if you're a teenager or preteen or you're a young adult, cherish each stage of your life because it goes by so fast. Each stage has a joy in it, but it can go by so fast. Sometimes, you know, as parents, we think we will always have time, don't we? You know, as a parent, we always think there's always going to be time for something. We assume there will always be a later to do something. Sometimes we take the present for granted. We, we neglect the here and now. Sometimes as parents, we try to uh, plan for the future, right? We're trying to do something for the future, but at the expense of that, sometimes we, we neglect the here and now. We, we try to plan for what's ahead, but sometimes we, we don't realize what's going on, what's staring at us right in front of our face. Sometimes we have, kind of have to ask ourselves, what we're planning for in the future, is it worth sacrificing the moment that we have right now? 
Right? I had to learn that as a parent that, you know, I'm thinking about some, a kid's future, but my child is, he doesn't, they're not even thinking about the future. They're thinking the right now. Mom or dad, are you with me right now? And maybe that's why there's so much conflict between kids, parents and kids, because parents are often thinking about the future, right? The kids are often thinking about the here and now, and so they're kind of like this, right? So sometimes we as adults can think so much about the future that we're not realizing the importance of the here and now. So those are all kind of things I, I thought of in this time of year, and it, it reminded me of the passage today. That, you know, Paul didn't seem to have that kind of problem. For Paul, his perspective, he understood the here and now, but he had it with the view of an eternal perspective. He always had eternity in mind, but he didn't neglect what was going on in the here and now. He didn't neglect what was facing him, his situation in the moment. And we're going to take a look as we continue on in Philippians. We're going to see from Paul's example. We're going to see his confidence, but we're going to see the dilemma that he faced. And I think as we read the passage, we're going to gain some, hopefully some valuable advice about our own perspective on life and in ministry. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read the verse that we, start, we ended last week with, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We have it over there, of course, on the screens. Start off on verse 18. This is what Paul says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So we're going to look at Paul's, what's Paul's confidence? We're going to look at what Paul was confident in. And it made me kind of think about it, want us to pause for a moment. It's really important that we know what we're confident in. In other words, what are you confident that you believe in? It's going to be important for you younger ones, you college students, you high school students, you middle school students, it's important for you all to understand, start thinking about, what do I know for certain about God? And then figure out, what do I question or wonder or struggle with? And then the ones that, you know, I really 
have a hard time believing in. At this age, start thinking now, what am I confident I believe in? What do I question or struggle with? Even as adults, I want to encourage you all, if you haven't done this already, start thinking about, what do I believe? What am I certain of? What am I confident of? What are some questions that I wrestle with? I struggle with. The reason why I say it's important is because the enemy is going to challenge you, right? He's going to stir up the things that you doubt. And he's going to enhance the things that you struggle with so that he can crack the things that you're confident in. That's going to happen. Whether you're young or whether you're older, that happens. And it's so important for us to know, what are we confident in? What are we certain of? Because when we look at Paul, we see his perspective, not only in ministry and in his life. Verse 18, right? we saw last week. What was Paul's primary focus? It was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. That was his sole focus, so much so that even though in his circumstance, people were doing things, some, some were preaching out of goodwill for Christ, some people were preaching Christ, but from bad motives. And their motives was to in, intend to harm Paul, cause Paul distress. But for Paul, he said, look, that's all secondary. What you do to me is secondary. What you think of me is secondary to the fact that Jesus is being proclaimed. That was Paul's focus. So he was focused because he knew what he was confident in. He goes on to say, For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What was Paul confident in here? See, Paul hoped, he had an eager expectation that he was going to be delivered. He had this hope and expectation he wasn't going to be imprisoned for long. So he had that hope. He was going to be released. He was confident that through the partnership of the prayers of the saints and the provision of the Holy Spirit, he would be released. On a side note, I think that's kind of interesting that Paul says that. He includes both the prayers of the saints and the provision of the Holy Spirit. He says, like, through, the, through your prayers and through the provision of the Holy Spirit, I believe I will be released. It's kind of interesting to think about that he says that. He joins that together, your prayers and what the Holy Spirit does. I don't know if you ever kind of thought about that, how our prayer works with God. Right? Did the Holy Spirit, did he, the Holy Spirit kind of like uh, initial prompt our prayers, or did our prayers prompt the Holy Spirit? How many of you have ever wondered that? You don't have to raise your hands if you want to, but that's kind of curious, right? Truthfully, there's a mystery behind that. How does that all work? I don't know. We're going to cover that a little bit more in chapter 4, sometime ahead in Philippians. We'll cover that when we talk more about prayer. But it's interesting that Paul says the prayers of the brethren and the provision of the Holy Spirit. What we can say is that God does work in partnership 
with our prayers. He responds to our prayers. And Paul wasn't a stranger to ask for prayer. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now if you've been following with us in, in Philippians, you may notice, what is Paul asking for prayer for the church in Ephesus? All right, we're assuming this is happening later on than what we're reading in, in Philippians. Okay, so this is happening in the future. But when Paul's, what is he asking for for the church in Ephesus? He's asking them to help pray for me that I would speak with boldness. I would speak with boldness the mystery of the gospel for I'm an ambassador in chains. What have we been reading in Philippians? Paul was saying he's confident that he was preaching with boldness while he is in chains. Yet here he is later on, he's praying and asking for the same thing for the church in Ephesus. What does that tell me? What it tells me is that even though you are successful in one time, it doesn't mean you don't need prayer for it later on. I love that Paul, even though he spoke with boldness in one context, he's talking to another church, another other brethren, he's saying, can you pray for me that I would have boldness to proclaim the gospel? He specifically prayed for that from the brethren. And I think that should teach us, you know, when we ask for prayer, you know, have you ever asked somebody for prayer? And you're kind of nervous or scared to get into detail about what you need prayer for? You just say, oh, can you just pray for me? We we do that a lot. Can you just pray for me? What do you want to pray for? Oh, just, just pray for me. I think we need to get into the practice of asking specifically what to pray for. And this takes a little discernment as to what we think we need in a situation. But even Paul said, you know, you all, can you pray for boldness for me? Pray that I have boldness to preach the gospel. Pray that I'll do this, I'll be an ambassador literally in chains for the gospel. So I love that Paul asked for prayer in that way. But so it's important that we ask for prayer, that it's the prayer of people and the Spirit of God work in partnership to help us in our life. But look at what Paul was confident in. We see in verse 6 of Philippians, he talked about what his confidence in, that he was confident that God will complete a good work in the brethren, right? And what the ministry, what he was doing. But notice what he says in verse 19 and 20. What was he confident? That Jesus Christ will be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. Paul's confidence wasn't just in the circumstances. Yes, he had the expectation and the hope that he was going to be released from prison, but that really wasn't the core of his confidence. His confidence was that no matter what, God would do the work. God would be glorified in what I am doing. Paul didn't fear death. He didn't fear the circumstances. This fearlessness, this boldness, this confidence that he had, it came from somewhere. And it came from, I believe, this paradoxical 
perspective in life. Do you know what a paradox is? Right? It's like this conflict, this, this absurd kind of idea or notion. There's some kind of seemingly conflict within something, right? That's a paradox. Let's look at what Paul's dilemma is. He says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, and convinced of this that I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. What's the paradox? What was Paul's dilemma? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now that may seem contradictory to you. That may sound a little backwards, right? That statement may sound very absurd to many people. How can to die be gain? How is death a benefit? What does he mean to live is Christ? Well, look at Paul's context. Paul just wrote that he was confident that Jesus will be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. No matter what happens to me, whether I continue living Whether I'm released from prison or if I die in chains, Jesus will be exalted. Because in death, it's gain for me. Look what Paul says in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For Paul, choosing life or death, that that was not an easy decision. Would it be an easy decision for you? Probably is for us, right? If we're given the choice to live or die, most of us say, well, that's not really a choice. I want to live. Right? Most of us would say that. But for Paul, he was in conflict. He says, but if I am to live on the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Not working. If we were faced with that choice of life or death, would you be pulled in one particular direction or another? Perhaps you'd be, yeah, I want to live. But Paul, he describes it, I'm being hard pressed. The Greek word for being hard pressed there is to hold together, to hold together with constraints, to hold completely. He's being pulled by both directions, both scenarios. He sees as it would be fruitful. Look, if I am to continue to live, it's a benefit for others. If I am to die, it's a benefit to me. I'm with Christ. And I love what Paul mentions here. He says, he describes death as his desire to depart. That word literally means to unloose, to undo again. I like that picture. I like that description of death. An unloosening. 
How many of you ever been to Disneyland or amusement park? Remember when you were a kid, you were in an amusement park, and what got your attention? You see the sellers who have those balloons, and they're just holding like, I don't know, like a hundred balloons up in the air. And those balloons, when you're a kid, you're like, Mommy, Daddy, can I get a balloon? Can I get a balloon? And you're like, okay, you get a balloon. You grab them one balloon, and what do you do with it? You tie it, right? Tie it around the wrist, because if you don't tie it around the wrist, it goes 10 bucks. <laughs> it goes way up in the air. And the kid's going to watch it, and they say, can I have another one? Right? So what do you do? You tie it. You tie it on the wrist until they get home. Because what happens? If you loosen the balloon, what's going to happen? It's going to flow up. Bye-bye balloon. You're going to watch it float up in the air. I love that description. For the believer, death is like a loosening. Sure, from our perspective, we want to hold on to as much as we can. When a loved one passes, we feel like we want to hold on to them as much as we can. I remember when my dad was struggling, we wanted to hold on to him as much as we could. One more year. But his perspective, he was kind of saying, let me go. Because I know where I'm going. It was a loosening for him. And don't get me wrong. While we're here on earth, while we're here, we have things to live for. Things to people to enjoy. Whether it's your life, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your mission on earth, your sense of purpose, your sense of calling, what God has you to do. We have something here to live for, to work for, to enjoy. But from Paul's perspective, he says, look, I'm pulled. Because in one sense, I want to be with the Lord. But I know if I stay, it'll be the benefit for you. It'll be for your benefit. He goes on to say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Meaning Jesus was at the center of life. Jesus affected how he saw the world, how he saw people, how he saw his mission. Jesus was life to him. And to die was only gain. And he says in verse 25, And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you with all your progress and join the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. In the moment, Paul believed he was going to return to them. He was going to visit the church in Philippi again for their progress, for their joy in the faith. It would have been easy for Paul to feel like, you know what, God, can you just take me now? I'm struggling. I'm suffering. Why do I have to be chained again? Why do I have to be beaten again? Why do I have to stand trial again? It could have been easy for Paul to say, you know what, God, can you just take me now? But for Paul's perspective, he's like, I know that if I stay here on earth, it'll be for your benefit, for your joy, for the progress of your faith. He goes on and says, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. I think a better, 
uh, perhaps a better interpretation of that was to say, would be that your boasting at Christ Jesus in me would abound through my coming to you again. Their boasting, Paul, from Paul's perspective, your boasting would not be in me, Paul, but in Christ working through me. Their boasting would not be about Paul. It would be what Christ is doing through him. So I want us to grasp this concept, this perspective that Paul has. He understood the here and now. He understood what was going on in front of him. But what he was doing in the here and now had eternal perspective in mind. He didn't neglect the here and now. He didn't plan for the future and neglect what was going on. His perspective of eternity affected how he dealt with, he dealt with the here and now. He saw his purpose was for you and me. Well, in that time, it was the, the church, right? That's how he saw it. From here to eternity, his mission was clear. His focus was like a laser, and his conviction was as strong as his faith. And he carried that out to glorify the Lord, whether by life or by death. So what can we learn from Paul? What can we learn from Paul's example? Of course, we see that Jesus is the center of our life. To live is Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. What? It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. To follow Christ is to live different. Your concept of life completely changes. Christ is living in you. I thought of an imperfect metaphor, and I struggle whether I should use this or not, and I probably shouldn't use it, but I've been watching Marvel movies lately, and you know Iron Man, right? All right this is a bad analogy. Maybe I shouldn't use this. It's not a, it's not a perfect analogy, okay? All right. Forgive me if this is a bad analogy, all right? Don't quote me on this, all right? But you, what, what's Iron Man? Really, it's just an armored suit, right? You take Tony Stark out of the Iron Man suit, what's the suit? It's nothing. It's nothing, right? But you put Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit, then Tony Stark becomes Iron Man. All right, this is not a perfect analogy, okay? So don't critique, don't after a sermon go, you know, Pastor Mike, I've been talking about, you know, that doesn't work. Okay, I understand. I understand. What I'm getting at is that for us, this is just a shell. But Christ living in us will affect how we live our life. It changes how we perceive our life. It changes how we see the people in our life. The second thing, what we do from here to eternity can bear eternal fruit. What we do from this point on to eternity can bear eternal fruit. I say this, invest in people's eternity. You parents, you may be saving up for your kid's future, maybe a college fund, maybe a fund for their wedding, or maybe for whatever it may be. That's good, that's great, you can do that. But invest in their eternity more so. That what you're doing in the present time with your kids, ask yourself, is it 
just as valuable, if not more so, than whatever I'm trying to save away or plan for later in the future. Invest in their presence. Invest because know that that has eternal consequences. Not just as parents, but in our friendships and the people we know. What separates us from here to eternity is really just kind of a mere moment, isn't it? Possibly a split second. We could be alive for a day. It could be decades. We really don't know. We don't know how much time fills this moment from here to eternity. We don't know what, how much time we have. How long that road is. But what we do know is that time is precious. Whatever fills that time, that gap from here to eternity, that time is precious. It can have consequences that go far beyond our time here on earth. And just as Paul's focus, his confidence, was that God is doing a work here and it's going to affect its eternity, we can have that same perspective and understand to live as Christ, to die as gain. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks when we pick it up in verse 30. But I want to encourage us to have that perspective and that not only in life, but in the relationships we have. Christ as our core. And what we do here on earth in the here and now can have consequences that goes far and beyond than we can realize. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your eternal hope that, Father, we don't have to fear that moment when we're loosened from this earth, from this life. Because if we have Christ in our life, to die is to gain. But while we're here on this earth, Lord, there is reasons for us to live, to cherish, to nurture And I pray, Lord, you would help us to live with this perspective in mind that what we do here can have eternal consequences, an eternal impact. We thank you, Lord God. We give this time to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.